the University of New England is embarking on a bold new mission to transform the university's decommissioned boiler house into a purpose-built discovery space. Here, on Curiosity Built the Boiler House, we'll follow the transformation of this 1950s industrial building into a regional science-themed play space. Along the way, we'll also chat with leading experts in education, play space design, and all things STEAM about what makes for an incredible discovery space experience. I'm Dr. James O'Hanlon, and for this episode, I sat down with John Stewart, the conductor of the Living School in Lismore. And what we all have to accept isn't right is that 50% of children, universally, globally, doesn't matter if you're in Australia or overseas, over 50% of kids don't like school. Now, now that is not right. Any educational system needs to start to say, how do we shape this? How do we change this? Not continually try to plug more things in or try to improve quality of teaching by bringing on more pressure. And so what we're saying is a new school can actually start the birthright of children to learn how they want to learn. The Living School recently opened in Lismore in northern New South Wales to kids from kindergarten to year eight. And in talking to John, it was clear that the Living School was designed to provide a completely unique learning experience. It's, it's an amalgamation of so many different ideas and pedagogies uh, where we're stringing them together in a progressive model. The Living School is all about um, reinvigorating schooling for what we believe is going to be the needs of the next century. Uh, we've all heard the 21st century skills. Uh, we think we're a quarter of the way through or a fifth of the way through, so we should really be doing it. The, the school is one where we're K to 8, but we're opening up to 10 next year, and the vision is to go to K to 13. Actually, the focus is to have a whole community culture, and it's co-learning. So the day looks like this. Uh, we have children in casual clothes and their normal clothes, not trying to be in uniforms, uh, meandering into the building, saying hi to first-name basis to teachers who are smiling and, and saying hello back. There's a confidence of children walking into the building. The building uh, was my family home and my father's practice. So we've actually made a school in my sister's bedroom. <laughs> so, so if you can't be... Um, if you can't be relaxed in that environment of a home, uh, you never will. So when they come into the school, the children have a sense of belonging and, and ownership. There's a, a house connected to this building, and it's a bit of a TARDIS from what you see on the street is not what you get inside. It opens up into this creative learning space where the risers on the stairs are chalkboards, blackboards, uh, where the roof in sections is disappearing and so you can see how a building is built, where the elevator, the lift, has a cut-through window so you can see how it works, where the furniture is second-hand and purchased um, from marketplace of all places um, so that there's a sense of narrative. And if you continue through the building, you'll come to a 1928 uh, Red Rattler train uh, sitting off, projecting out into the yard from my bedroom, my old bedroom. And so, yeah, it's a creative space. There's um, a tree room where there's bamboo woven into the ceilings with spectrum lighting, and the lighting has no blue light but allows us to mimic um, the environment and change mood. Uh, the teachers uh, are bubbling through, engaged, excited, and a real sense of collaboration because we're new. 
And we're, we're just right now equipping an old bus as a mobile classroom. So the, the, the bus, half the bus is the seating, and the other half of the bus is a little bay where students can use technology because we're not afraid of technology. Um, but we can get them out into some of the amazing surrounding environments. For instance, every Friday, uh, we do what we call on-land learning. When everyone went online learning, we said, no, this isn't where we are. We want to get children out. So we went on-land learning. And so every Friday, we take our children to a farm or to the beach, and we have activities that celebrate one of our Keystone themes. And so the school is, is a really interesting um, amalgamation of different ideas, as I said. There are many schools out there that provide what could be considered an alternative learning approach that adhere to specific learning and teaching approaches. I asked John whether the Living School had its own overarching philosophy. What I learned, though, was that the Living School isn't about adhering to any particular doctrines or codes. It's simply about being different. You know, we shouldn't be scared of diversity. We, we know from the ecosystems that biodiversity is where strength is. Strength isn't in a monoculture. And if we continually build monocultures, we're not, we're not actually fertilising good ideas through the whole system. But I, I would just say this, James. Take out your school photos and look at school photos as an indicator of where the system just does not change. I, I think... Yeah, it horrifies me to think that we're still sitting people in little queues with a teacher on a board with their name plaque underneath them and children in a uniform all faking a smile um, with individual shots. You know, it, it looks archaic. So we should be able to do things a little bit different. And the last little point I'd make is everyone should go back and read things from a long time ago, 1970, Doris Lessing. And Doris Lessing has a fantastic quote which I'll paraphrase as saying the first thing we should tell kids when they sit in a classroom with an adult as a teacher is you're all being indoctrinated. I was indoctrinated and indoctrination is what we're going to continue to do because of the system. So we want to change things. We want to make sure that we add a voice to a different style of learning. We're not saying we're any better. We're just different and we're not trying to be alternate. We're just trying to amalgamate really good ideas and shape things up for the future. Um, you know, th this school is a living school, so let me let me be clear. I'm not um, espousing a, a system. I'm I'm not trying to say this is an ideology, a doctrine. If you have a doctrine, if you have a doctrine driving a school, you get indoctrinated. But I would say this: What are the alternatives to the traditional mainstream education educational model that you can name? And when you ask people that. Most people are going to say, oh, Montessori or Steiner. Some people might go so far as to say Democratic or Summerhill, Democratic models or forest schools. But the majority of alternate schools uh, would be seen as Montessori or Steiner. Now, they're great, but that was 1900s. That was 1909, 1915, when those new models of pedagogy and schooling came into being. And we had two pretty close together. But we're not seeing an evolution or, or uh, anything new coming into this field of, 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 of schooling. And we've got so many changes that have happened as a result. You know, do we really, really want the experiment of social media uh, to continue without us saying, hey, it's time to unplug, disconnect and get back into nature and actually just hug a tree? 
know, just be in nature. We're custodians. We're part of that. Do we really want to have a school where we're continually feeding kids marks based on tests which tell us how good we're or how well we're teaching as a school and we put them in the league tables? Do you really want that? Because the model overseas of Finland is to say that isn't the best way to educate. So I'm, I'm of the view that we can develop schooling that actually engages and sparks curiosity. Let's be curious. You know, let's look at new ideas and let's funnel them in. And I could tell you the teachers that are teaching here are so amazing because they've been given scope to develop some of their thoughts around what we're doing to engage kids. And our kids are happy. Having spent decades teaching and running schools, John took it upon himself to take everything he has learned along the way and build his own school from scratch. And in a strange twist of fate, he managed to do it by renovating his old family home. I asked John where it all started and what made him decide to finally take that step and build an entirely new school. I've been teaching and running schools, traditional schools, uh, different educational environments. I was the director of the Green School in Bali. And so I've been running schools for 30 years. And I really wanted to start a school where my culture could be applied. Because when you're a head of a school or a principal or a director, you go into the culture of an institution that's already there. If you start it from ground up with, you know, teachers who are professionally expertise in their craft and wanting to be engaged, you get a chance to mould and shape. But the problem we have in a lot of areas is that we don't have the, the DA, the development process, has not approved um, opportunities for new schools. It's very, very difficult to find a site that is allowing a conducive to allow a new school to, to start. And that's an indictment on local councils, on developers, on the state government as well. We want to have diversity in education and there's, there's a greater range within a school than between schools. So my focus was I couldn't get a DA on some of the green sites that we wanted. So fortunately, uh, my parents' business and my old home was zoned in an appropriate place uh, in the middle of Lismore. When I went overseas and I was, you know, at different schools overseas. I went to Cambridge, I got my master's, I came back and I was at schools here. And then I had the opportunity to work with a clinical psychologist, Dr. John Irvine. And we created or wrote a book together, co-authored a book called Thriving at School. And in that book, that research that I undertook, I started formulating this idea of BAST, which is the framework of values, attitudes, skills and teachings. And it was from there that I started to look at schooling and saying, is there another model? Is there a way we can tweak things? If I had a chance to build my own school, what would it look like? And could I do it? Um, from there, I went to Tudor House, where it was all about responsible risk and most amazing school. And then I went over, I was headhunted to Green School. So all these ideas, when I came back, I worked in the Nullingar program here, which is an amazing Aboriginal engagement um, system of distance education. So I was threading all these ideas of how can we get school to be invigorating, exciting, engaging, um, where a, learning, a community will learn together. So, so I guess the birth of living school just kind of grew out of there. Uh, and this area uh, really was looking for another opportunity of another school. Um, and, and, you know, to start a school, James, 
I gotta say, you gotta be a little bit mad. You gotta be a little bit nuts to get through all the hoops, the hurdles, and the support that's needed. Uh, yeah, it, it's perseverance, persistence, and it was three years just to get through the NASA requirements. And here we are. I think I'm, people who know me know that I've got an insatiable curiosity and I've got this drive to continually be doing things. I've never really settled. I've always wanted to do things and I'm a builder, a constructor wanting to change and shape. So that creative spirit has always allowed me to see things differently. And the more you're in the fish pond, um, the more you, you get to feel the water. And, and what I took away wasn't so much frustration, but it was just, you know, to go into some of the schools I've been in, you really got to bend your own character to fit their culture. And that's, you know, I don't want to be a pillock of society. Um, you know, uh, I, I really want to be someone who, who is just embracing learning. I just, I just love learning and I'm passionate about teaching. So to be in other schools, you're still within the system of those schools. You're still within their tradition. Uh, so to speak. And this is an opportunity for me to amalgamate, put things together. You keep using that word amalgamate, but it's about threading things together, weaving things together uh, to create a schooling system where it's mine and it's ours and the, the children own it, which I think is just the way it should be for the future. What amazed me most when learning about the living school was the fact that the school isn't contained within the walls of a building and the fences of a school ground. The school itself is integrated into the Lismore community. The school uses valuable resources already present in the community so that both the school and the people of Lismore can benefit from each other. Yeah, so take advantage of where you are. So the first thing, if we strip back, the question we have to ask is what is the purpose of school? And if we consider the purpose of school is a career path towards a job, we're really limiting ourselves. I see the importance of school as improving community. And to improve, to improve community, you have to be in community. And we've got children now who are in bedrooms connected to a network of friends virtually but not authentically. So this school actually has this ulterior motive of seeing can you re-engage a whole town in an educational offering that's a school. So our children don't need to be uh, going into a library that the school has spent millions of dollars on. Our children don't need to be going into spaces that the school owns and where a wall defends the children from stranger danger. This school is about connecting kids with the community. We go to the public library. We go to the public ovals. We go to the community gardens. We go to the public swimming pool. We walk kids around town. So as a, as a focus, when you walk, you talk. Children now communicate, teachers ask questions. And the process of moving around town means that you feel part of a town. Overall, it's been amazing. The, the local council has been so supportive of us, which other councils around the area weren't necessarily as supportive. So Lismore, as a council, have really been um, amazing in their embrace, in their ability to embrace a new school such as us coming into the town. The, the local art gallery um, has been offering workshops at their art gallery, NORPA, the Northern Rivers Performing Arts. They leased out a, their performance room to us. The, the community gardens, we had a, a fellow who then donated to us Davison Plums 
because he saw our children there. Uh, the, the town, the public library, has, has, with the COVID frustrations now moving away, they embrace us coming over and, and borrowing books and being part of the library. So I'd say the town on the whole has really celebrated this idea of, of a school being connected to a community. And so the school is, is a really interesting um, amalgamation of different ideas, as I said. And so as a result, the local community has the most amazing artisans. The community collective of creative people in Lismore is second outside Sydney. So I, I'd like to dabble in this idea that schools have actually lost the point. Not intentionally, but we tried to create this accreditation system to ensure that all our teachers are quality controlled. But as a result, we've now abandoned the understanding that the specialist knowledge, creative artisans who sit outside the school, who can really come in and add to the community of co-learners. So we see ourselves as, as offering opportunities for people outside to come in. For instance, we had a boy uh, who wanted to study law and he said, I really want to know how to be a lawyer. So I reached out and I found a lawyer and that lawyer was able to come in and taught with me and another teacher on human rights, promoted the idea of universal rights to the students. And the students are now lobbying as activists for a Koori court in Lismore. And there are only two Koori courts in the whole of New South Wales and Sydney. So for us to support those ideas and have children actually changing the community for the better is just awe-inspiring. I have this great view that the future of schooling needs to start to embrace community more needs to be a co-learning understanding where kids feel connected with not just their mates or a teacher telling them what to do or what to think or what to learn, but actually start to link in with the creatives, the business people, the understanding of our town is governed. All of those things are possible. Nothing is off, off the table at Living School. We have this view that we can actually adapt and evolve every year by having a learning festival. You know, one of the things I'm yet to, to implement here, which we're going to be doing next year, is Learning Man. Sorry about the gender, but it, it fits a purpose. But, you know, imagine if you had a festival where all the community or anyone could come and camp out and there were big tents. One tent is assessment, or what we would call is, how is my student, my child going? Yeah? Um, administration, communication. And we unpacked all the things of the school that we've been doing on all the things we want to do, and then we can re-engage that. So every year this festival reshapes, recasts, reviews, and allows communication and input. I think that's a pretty exciting thing. The Living School focuses on connecting their students to nature, the community, and hands-on learning. This represents a shift away from some of the more recent trends in education towards going online and the rapid uptake of digital teaching tools. Far from being a technophobe, John actually has a background researching how technology can be used to enhance teaching. Despite this, he still realises that the use of technology in education has to be purposeful, intentional and meaningful. You know, we're not going to go down one end of, of the spectrum or, 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 or jump onto one thing. We're going to mix and merge, but we are going to follow research-based um, understanding. So, the, you know, the paediatrics... Um, they're all talking about, you know, don't give too much screen time to kids under nine years old. 
Um, but we're not going to be critical of parents who use the multimedia nanny. Um, but we, in school, we intentionally don't use technology under nine years old. Um, why? Because we had technology? No, because you actually get more relationship, more understanding with concrete, play-based, hands-on learning. If you resort to um, some of our um, iPads, as I'll call them, and, and some of the, the, the apps on iPads, it's a very um, flat screen. It's, it's very much a finger-based thing, one finger. Um, we, we actually don't think that's good learning. So, you know, we are professional teachers. Our, our pedagogy stands us as professional. We don't want to rely on that. We want to craft the use of uh, cookie mining, you know, where, you, where, you, where you're, you're hunting through for the chocolate chip so, or, or where you're writing your letters with, um, with paintbrushes dipped in water and then you can talk about evaporation. Uh, we want them to see the real world. We want them to, to juggle and move and, and shape seeds um, and, and start to see rocks as, as tools to learn from. And, and as a result, there's real hands-on, there's real engagement there's external understanding of a world around them rather than a screen they're facing. But, you know, screens have their purpose. We're talking through a screen right now. Um, I've developed online multimedia assessment uh, structures. I've, I've published textbooks, uh, interactive textbooks. I thought the world would change and, <clears throat> and education would become so much richer as a result of individualized focus through screens. Um, so I have that background, but I also know that learning's social. Learning is really about establishing a network of understanding and trust, and you can't do that through a screen. You know, we, we've got students coming in and enrolling with us over the course of the year, and, and there is screen addiction. So we have to now look at how we manage that. And the first thing was we talk to the kids and say, what do you think? And the kids come up with their solutions. And then if it's not working, we direct them. So uh, it looks like this. We have Chromebooks, Google Chromebooks. So we use Google Chrome cloud-based platforms. Uh, we've got a podcasting bay here so the students can learn to podcast, but they can also connect. And they can actually record on this podcasting bay children's stories, and then we can feed those through an audio system to the younger students too, uh, such as on the bus. Um, we also have uh, technology on the train of thought. Like I'm, I'm sitting in a 1928 uh, old Red Rattler train. And so the, the train has technology involved, including, you know, 3D printers and, and the scope of, of science experiments and things like that. So, yeah, I, I guess, you know, we're not against technology, but we just want to make sure whatever we do is intentional and purposeful. And, and, and if we just plug it in as a plug-in, uh, and without actually thinking of, of the ramifications, uh, we're not doing our job. John Stewart strikes me as the kind of guy who doesn't like to do things by halves and isn't one to shy away from a challenge. It's perhaps a little fitting then that the school was scheduled to open its doors at the beginning of 2020, just in time for an onslaught of additional challenges. But as with everything thrown its way, the living school seems to have turned these challenges into opportunities. <laughs> you know, 2020 vision, when I started school, the 2020, 2020 vision, that's a great, you know, time to start a school. It's meant to be. So what happened? We had the bushfires. We had the heat wave. Uh, then we had floods up in Lismore. 
And then I actually had pestilence. We had army caterpillars eat all the grass. Uh, <laughs> and then we had COVID. Um, you know, so we've, we've had plague, pestilence, floods, fires. And as a result, it's really, really interesting. Um, we've had people wanting to come. We've had more people wanting to come because they can see what we're doing. And it makes sense to them. It makes sense that this is a school that wants to connect with a, a wider, broader community. It's a school where it's diverse, you know. We're an independent school, so there are fees. And so immediately you might be seen as private or you might be seen as exclusive or elitist. And that's not the case at all. We've got people here from all walks of life and, and it's just um, amazing. I, I just feel, wow, so proud of, of and, and so grateful for the support of the people who've who this resonates with you know online learning was was our way of, of getting kids out of their bedrooms and, and connecting them back onto open space we wouldn't have done that without the COVID-19 we were always planning to do it but we wouldn't have done it so quickly or or, or, or engaged that process so early on um, but it has been such a success um, having children outside and you know, there's this other side where paperwork and risk assessments have, has, uh, have stopped teachers from the excursion or budget funding has said you can have two excursions and two incursions, you know, which is nuts. So we went the op opposite. We said, let's have lots and lots of excursions and times into open space where you don't have to worry so much about the 1.52 meter uh, parameters or four meters. And, um, yeah, as a result, we see happy children. We see children without the stress. We get children coming to us who, who said they've suffered school anxiety. And we've, we see confidence just coming back to them. And, yeah, it's been, um, yeah, it's been a magical start. It, it, it's nothing like I imagined. Um, but you can't forecast where you're going to be. You just do it. And, and if you do it well and you've got the right people around you and everyone's committed magic happens in hindsight we started with our numbers and we started with 78 students which I, I thought we'd have 45 so so to start a school you never know there's there's that risk and this is my total commitment so this is this is all invested by me um, and and the bank <laughs> and, and so I had my conviction myself um, so from 78 students we had uh, a growth then and through the COVID-19 um, we we were open to the essential services and we have nurses and we have other people who needed our service and so we were always here uh, also as a staff we committed our whole staff committed to being on site and juggling so we didn't have that view that we should um, start to separate ourselves and have some at home and some at school and take different times to be in and out. We, we worked as a collective with the trust that all of us were going to commit to this. So what, as a result of that, some of the parents um, could see what we were doing compared to others and said, wow, you're actually doing things we really, we would have liked at school. So one of the comments we usually get is, this is a school I would like to have been at. Um, so parents can see the enjoyment, the fun, and the the expertise of the staff as to work as a collective. So, yeah, COVID-19 um, hasn't been a problem for us. In fact, 
it's kind of shifted the view of who we are and it's refined our own collective uh, efficacy and as a result yeah the school has grown in numbers after facing fire pestilence plague and a lot of paperwork john finally has his living school complete with train carriages mobile classrooms and more so i asked john what's next where's the living school going and what are his grand plans for the future of the school what's next well next year we we we, we start with um we're just waiting for final approval for years nine and ten and year nine and ten is going to be a little bit different too. Years nine will have a project-based learning where instead of finishing a project and letting parents see it, there'll be a shark tank. So we're going to actually have proper investors, investors coming in and forming business entrepreneurial skills with our kids, our children, our students. And that will be based on our year seven, eight, nine program. So inquiry-based, problem-based, project-based. Year 10, we want to explore expeditionary learning which is overseas. So giving challenge-based learning where kids are actually going to go and do big expeditions. Uh, then we want to go into years 11, 12, 13. So we believe that our school should should push beyond the HSC um, as a year 13. That's not to say we don't believe in the HSC, but we don't wish the HSC to be the bookend that defines our time at school. If you wish to complete the HSC and leave, that's great. If you don't do well in the HSC and you want to stay for another crack, that's great. If you want to do a bridging course, that's great. Or if you want to do entrepreneurial, uh, business-minded, orientated financial planning, then that's our year 13. So there's still lots and lots to come. Um, you know, I, I could talk on and my, my brain is like popcorn. The <laughs> ideas that keep originating from it uh, have come from the practice of teaching for 30 years and leading schools and, and meeting the most incredible minds. You know, this isn't Stuart. This is me cherry picking from the thoughts, the ideas of educationalists, pedagogues, um, from, from who I've met, who I've experienced, who I've read. find out more, visit livingschool.com.au. This podcast is recorded on Anaiwan country and has been brought to you by the University of New England. To find out more about the Boilerhouse Discovery Space, visit uneboilerhouse.org.au. Thanks for listening. We'll see you here next time on Curiosity Built the Boilerhouse. Boilerhouse.